Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 50 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. This is, of course, a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Now, I am your host, Sir Dr. JM. If it's your first time, that's at Sir DRJM. And you can, of course, follow me on all socials. So why not give me a follow? Reach out to me, especially on Twitter, uh, where I'm happy to interact with you. I would love to take questions, comments, concerns, inquiries, uh... Uh, queries, anything else. I don't know if there's a difference between an inquiry and a query, but anyways. Anything else, any other comments you might have for me about the show, anything you want me to talk about, uh, or, you know, perhaps if you leave a review of the podcast or anything like that, then I'll read that on the show as well. Now, you can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, and all that fun stuff. Now, we've got a fair amount to discuss this week, especially as uh, I did not record last week. Um, So, you know what? We're going to go ahead and dive right on in in just a second. First, I just wanted to say I'm actually in the process of uh, setting things up on a different computer to record from. Yes, I know I do this all the time. Uh, So, long story short, that means I don't have certain things ready to go, like my... uh, sound clips for the show so my transitions in this episode are going to be a little lackluster but i digress that's the way it's going to be now before we get into the news i also want to comment on my uh last week's absence from the episode uh absence of an episode altogether i should say since i'm the only one who uh you know is on this podcast but i digress let me go ahead and uh and i will discuss that a little bit here So, before I get into the news, I wanted to touch on something that's obviously been a big topic around the gaming sphere lately, and of course not just as it relates to Overwatch, but gaming as a whole, however especially focused on Activision Blizzard and, uh, you know, being the company that of course makes Overwatch. So, as I'm sure if you are listening to this podcast, you are probably aware that there's been a lawsuit filed by the state of California against Activision Blizzard for some terrible, heinous acts of harassment and discrimination, specifically against women and, uh, you know, in the same vein, but to a lesser extent in terms of the lawsuit, I think, uh, people of color. So the story kind of broke last week uh, with an article written by Jason Schreier at Bloomberg. And since then, it's just been a fairly nonstop stream of really awful, really despicable stuff coming out uh, about Activision Blizzard, and in large part focused on the Blizzard side of things. Now, I'm not going to get into the full details as it's, you know, been a week or two now of more and more coming out about this. Um, However, I did simply want to say that uh, we should all support and believe victims and the uh, stuff that has been brought to light and has been going around for a long, long time at these gaming companies is absolutely deplorable and should absolutely be stamped out from the top down. Now, if you don't agree with that sentiment, you should not be listening to this podcast. Um, I know I already have a tiny audience and this is only going to, uh, you know, segregate me more. However, I truly don't think that that's going to be a surprise to anyone. Um... But I wanted to bring it up because uh, last week I decided not to record or publish an episode because I really didn't want to be supporting um, Activision Blizzard in in any way, really. I didn't play Overwatch last week either. Um, you know, I, I occasionally dabble in Call of Duty and Warzone and stuff, and I didn't touch any of them. Um, because it just it felt uh, really bad to be doing that kind of thing. Now, of course, I'm back this week. Um, And, you know, I I have played Overwatch a little bit and everything like that. Um, 
and it's it's kind of because you know being a little bit removed from all of the things that were going on and obviously the employees of activision blizzard organized a walkout um and things like this um so i i wanted to support that but again you know obviously nobody's going to give all this stuff up forever and especially a lot of those people who are making these games and rely on these these games for their you know for their livelihood so I'm back this week because I do believe, you know, obviously there are plenty of good people who do work on these games, and I don't want them to be overshadowed by the the bad actors that have caused all of this this um, awful stuff to go on. And there are a lot of people who don't do the awful things that have been discussed, and I obviously want to show them my support, but I also know that, you know, in a more general sense, uh, I know what the power of gaming is, and it, it has the power to bring us all together, and ultimately I want to be a part of that, and I want that to be known, be what gaming is known for. So hopefully my little podcast can help in, you know, bringing a little more positivity to the scene, even if it's just a little bit, obviously, you know, we, we talk about the Overwatch League, we talk about teams that are doing good, bad, otherwise, sometimes we talk about players who are underperforming and things like that, but ultimately gaming as a whole is is a hobby, it's something that a lot of us enjoy and a lot of us want to spend our time doing because it's fun, um, and I, I want that to be a positive place for everyone, not just, you know, for for certain people, uh, it should really be for everyone, so anyways, that's my that's my kind of thoughts on everything that's going on. Like I said, I don't want to get into the specifics um, because there is so much going on. There's so much changing day to day. And there's a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me who um, their thoughts are out there. And certainly if, if you want to read up about this, I definitely encourage you to uh, huge content and trigger warning for all of it because uh, uh, there's some egregious stuff in there. But uh, Go, go Google it. If you just Google, I'm sure if you Google Activision Blizzard in the news, then you'll find it. Um, if you want specifics, look for Jason Schreier uh, and his reporting at Bloomberg on it um, because he's kind of what broke the story. So that's all I want to say on it for now. Um, some of the news that I will talk about does touch on it a little bit. Um, so, you know, keep that in the back of your mind. But, uh, but anyways, without further ado, let's dive on in. Now, as I mentioned, I don't actually have any transitions for this show, so we're just going to dive right on in. Uh, so before we get into the news, let's do a little PSA, because of course Overwatch's Summer Games event is on now. And uh, as I am recording, it is August 2nd, uh, so I'm actually recording a little bit early, because I'm going to be starting the move to my new house uh, tomorrow, so I won't have a chance to record tomorrow evening, I'm sure. But we are entering the final week of the Summer Games event. Uh, the event ends on August 10th, so it's now your last chance to earn some skins. By now, you, if you are playing, you would have already earned your Ocean King Winston skin, which I am happy to say uh, I squeezed that in there. And actually, at the time of hearing this, you won't have any time, but as the time of recording, you would have a little bit more time to earn that Sunset, Sunset Ferris skin if you want it. And then for the last week, you'll have the chance to earn the Nihon Hanzo skin, so... If you haven't already, get in there, get your wins if you want to collect those skins. Now, let's move on from there into our actual news segment of the show. So we're going to rewind the clock a little bit. I'm not going to cover any stories that broke uh, or that happened over last week because I don't want this to be a two-hour show. Um, and I'm also not going to cover the games from that first week of uh, play because I did not get a chance to watch a lot of them because I've been very busy with, with moving and everything. So anyways, first news story. July 23rd, written by Scott Robertson over on .esports.com, reads like this. 
aim got officially added to Shanghai Dragons Overwatch Contenders team. After playing with the team just a couple months ago, Flex support player and former Overwatch League player Aim God has officially joined Team CC, the contenders team for the Shanghai Sharks. That's a cool name. I dig that. Aim God played with the team with Team CC back in May during the first season of the 2021 Contenders season in Korea. His first active competition in over half a year. Having originally played for Ardeont and Metabellum in 2017 and 2018, Aimgod joined the ranks of the Boston Uprising for two seasons. While he was a part of the inaugural season Uprising team that finished third in the regular season and reached playoffs, he played the least of anyone on the roster. He played significantly more in season two, but after the team finished second to last just ahead of the Florida Mayhem, he was one of several players released in October 2019. He didn't stay teamless for too long, signing with the Washington Justice for the 2020 season, paired with highly regarded main support a, I believe that's ARK. I was going to say ARK, but ARK. In what would be his final season before retirement. Aimgod's playtime and performance skyrocketed, leading the team in healing across the season. It turned out to be another tough regular season, finishing second to last against uh, again sorry, with a 4-17 record. But then the Justice went ballistic in the North American playoffs. They swept Vancouver and Dallas in the play-ins, nearly upset San Francisco in the first round of playoffs, then blitzed through Paris, LA Valiant, and Florida in the lower bracket before eventually falling to Philadelphia. They finished third way further than anyone expected and joined Seoul and Shanghai as the only teams that took two maps, two maps off of the eventual champions, the Shock. Aimgod was second highest in healing for all players during that playoffs run. Despite the magical postseason, Washington decided to restructure, releasing Aimgod along with DPS Stitch and off-tank Janu. Now, several months away, Aimgod has returned. He joined Team CC in May to help them win the NetEase Esports X Spring Tournament, and will officially be a part of the roster for the next season of Contenders Korea. So that's kind of an exciting one for uh, fans of Aim God. Obviously, as they talked about there, uh, kind of one of the one of the OGs in the in and around the Overwatch scene. Um, so you know, too bad to see his retirement back when it happened. However, not incredibly surprising given the track record of the teams he had been on. You know, um, for all intents and purposes, sounds like he was definitely a uh, a a top contender in you know in the support realm. However, I mean, you know easy to get a lot of healing on a team that you know gets beat into the ground quite a bit um you know i digress though exciting to see him coming up um and potentially i mean getting close to the shanghai dragons organization again um who knows if we might see him making the jump over to the overwatch league yet again now our next story is going to keep us on dotesports.com this time an article by ethan garcia on july 29th which reads overwatch's latest experimental card opens up new opportunities for dps heroes shuts down some tanks now before i move on let me just check something real quick okay yep we're good high dps has been a staple in overwatch's ever-changing metas some heroes have been dishing out consistent damage at a at such a rapid rate that there must picks for most team compositions with a few prominent faces even banned from the overwatch league's upcoming countdown cup this iteration of Overwatch's experimental card features some of the game's most oppressive heroes seeing tweaks to their damage, while others are receiving some help to get them back on track. While the card doesn't have changes to too many heroes, a few of the names included will likely see more usage if these experimental changes hit the live servers. As with all experimental cards, these changes are implemented for the sole purpose of testing and may not be implemented on the live servers in the futures. In the future, sorry. Here are all of the changes accompanying the July 29th version of the Overwatch experimental card. Damage. So in our damage category, we first take a look at Doomfist. 
Meteor Strike now speeds up the cooldown rate of his abilities by 100% well in the air. Doomfist, while not being a particularly underpowered pick, pales in comparison to other heroes like Tracer, May, and Ash, due to his all-in melee playstyle. It doesn't help that Doomfist is incredibly reliant on his rising uppercut and seismic slam combo. If it doesn't successfully send your opponents back to spawn, it'll leave Doomfist open to that same fate. This cooldown speed up well in the air may be a little high and might not make it to the live servers, but it will at least make Doomfist feel a bit more welcome in the current meta. So long story short, to explain that one, it's actually kind of an interesting change. Um, basically, if Doomfist is in the air, his cooldowns will speed up, uh, will will refresh refresh quicker. So it incentivizes a lot more of uh, a lot more of that that. Uh, sort of comboing of his abilities that they talk about there. Um, and it'll also allow him to combo, to make those combos a lot more easily because his cooldowns will uh, will regen quicker while he's, you know, flying around and everything. Um, honestly, it should be interesting to see if that has causes an uptick in Doomfist play. Next up is Genji. Shuyuken, damage increased from 28 to 29. Dragon Blade damage reduced from 120 to 110. The other Shimada brother has the potential to stop entire teams in their tracks, but with the Overwatch meta consistently shifting between mobility and sustain, Genji's dreams of 1v6 plays haven't come to fruition as late as of late. While these dreams won't be fulfilled entirely, Genji will be getting a bit of help in the basic attack department. Since this will help him slice and dice enemies a bit better, the damage of his Dragon Blade is being slightly reduced to compensate. So this one, uh, I don't suspect this will have much of a change. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, this is in my mind, more of a balance than a, than a nerf or a uh, buff, um, you know, increases his damage output, but that which in turn will help him build his, his ult a little bit more. However, when he uses that ult, it's a little less damaging or a little less punishing. So, you know, there you go. I digress. Soldier 76, heavy pulse rifle damage increased from 19 to 20, biotic field healing reduced from 40 to 35 health per second. I don't really need to read this one. Uh, very similar to Genji, more of a tweak than anything. Um, you know, his damage is being increased a little bit, so he's going to be more punishing. But at the same time, if he's out on the field being more punishing, he's probably taking more hits. So then when he goes to use his uh, biotic field, it's not going to heal him quite as quickly as it would have previously. So again, a bit of a balance there. Moving on to the tank role, we have Roadhog, who now passively gains 25% less ultimate charge. Roadhog likes to be at the center of attention, maybe a little too much. His ability to naturally take tank damage and take reduced damage while using take a breather makes him an optimal choice as an off tank to accompany some of the someone with big shields. To prevent him from going hog wild too often and as a result of tanking and dishing damage his ultimate charge gain will now be passively decreased so ultimately we'll see less of the uh roadhog going whole hog which not the worst thing in the world i did definitely actually think that he uh he gains ult charge pretty fast so wrecking ball grappling claw now begins on cooldown after respawning adaptive shield cast time reduced from 0.2 seconds to 0 seconds duration increased from 7 to 9 seconds minefield proximity mines no longer stick to walls the ball certainly isn't weak by any means since his speed self-shield and ability to stall maps continue to be a prominent aspect of this hero that make it difficult to shut him down 
To prevent this, the experimental card is placing his grappling claw on a cooldown upon respawn, making it unusable when immediately leaving the spawn area, and thus preventing Wrecking Ball from sabotaging an enemy's point capture or payload push. Since this has long been a staple of the character and is now being removed, his adaptive shield will last longer and activate faster, allowing him to soak up more damage in fights where he may not be swinging around too often. So kind of an, an interesting change. Um, you know, in my mind, it, it kind of speaks to when they changed Mercy's uh, res um, and made it so that, you know, whenever you use it, the cooldown persists through her death. So you can't just use it, die, get back to the fight, and then use it again um, in terms of Mercy. So uh, kind of similar in that, you know, the grappling clog cooldown begins after respawning. So if you use it, it's going to pause until you respawn, and then it will will uh, will cool down again. Um and also interesting that they balance that out with giving him more of an adaptive shield. You know, less of a cast time. I actually didn't know adaptive shield really had a cast time, to be honest with you. But then increasing uh, increasing the length of it from 7 to 9 seconds will make a pretty big impact for most Wrecking Ball uh, mains kind of thing. So Proximity Mines is, is kind of whatever. Um, you know, I actually... I personally liked how the mines were kind of sticky and that kind of thing. Um, I always found it kind of interesting how, you know, the, the spread of them and everything. I would almost think... Yeah, I mean, it makes sense they don't stick to walls, but I would almost think if they really want to nerf uh, Wrecking Ball's uh, minefield or something like that, make it cover less area, or have, you know, I don't know how many mines are there, but have a certain number less mines. Something like that, I don't know, I'm not tweaking the game, I'm just coming up with ideas here. Moving on from there, our final one, we have the support category with Moira, Biotic Grasp, self-healing increased from 20 to 24 health per second. Moira's role as a support has been unique since her ability to heal herself and her allies is reliant on how much damage she can deal to opponents. This, in turn, has made her an infrequent choice of support when heroes like Lucio and Ana are readily available to heal without this drawback and without the need to be constantly in the face of enemies. This buff to her self-healing will allow her to survive in a fight better, uh, sorry, a bit easier, though she likely still won't be at the level of her fellow heroes in this class. Uh, I don't have too much to say about that one, Moira getting a little bit more self-healing. Uh, you know, it is what it is. I personally think that, you know, at the... Lower levels of play, you see Moira played quite a bit because she is more simple, and I think Moira is one of those characters that could use a bit more of a rework than just tweaks and balances. But hey, I digress. They're not going to do that right now. Um, I wouldn't see, wouldn't be surprised to see Moira's kit changed quite a bit coming into Overwatch 2, Honestly, um, I've I've heard a lot of people talk about what if her what if her fade had more of a cleanse ability. Maybe it had a bit of an AOE cleanse kind of thing, so that you know. Uh, for someone like, uh, and this is just an example, for someone like May, maybe Blizzard gets thrown down and you've got two, uh, you've got your Reinhardt right in front of you, he gets frozen up, but if Moira's there and she pops the fade, um, it gives a sort of a bubble of invulnerability, not necessarily invulnerability, but a bubble of cleanse around her so that the freeze is instantly gone, Reinhardt can take the two steps he needs to get out of the Blizzard or something like that, um, you know, at least for that that moment that Moira is right on top of him kind of thing. Anyways, I digress. I'm getting into other territory here. Now, our next story is going to take us over to thegamehouse.com with an article by Sam Hopwood posted on July 30th, and it reads like this. Overwatch League teams win and lose big with their Countdown Cup schedule. For many Overwatch League teams, the Countdown Cup is the most important part of the season. The tournament serves as a clear barrier to entry for the playoffs and play-ins. 
Teams who perform well in the Countdown Cup punch their ticket to the playoffs. Teams who dish out a middling performance can make it to the play-ins, provided they performed at least decently in the three prior tournament cycles. And teams who perform poorly will likely lose their chance to make the play-ins, ending the season empty-handed. Though skill can carry you through the tournament, it won't save you from a cage match with the Shanghai Dragons. That's why, for many teams, a lucky or unlucky schedule can be the biggest factor in determining their place in the standings. But which Overwatch League teams lucked out with their Countdown Cup schedules? Which teams have four matches worth of beatdowns in their imminent future? And what insights do these schedules give to how the Overwatch League standings may look come playoffs? Who received the best Countdown Cup schedule? Of all the teams competing in the Countdown Cup, the Chengdu Hunters have received what is arguably the best possible schedule. The Hunters are already an incredible team, soaring to new heights over the course of the tournament. But even Juggernauts can benefit from an easy schedule, and it's likely that Chengdu will benefit uh, far more than anybody else. Of the four matches that the Hunters will play leading up to the APAC knockouts, which should be the Eastern Region knockouts, there seems like cut-and-dry wins. Three seem like cut-and-dry wins. The Hunters are sure to dominate the Los Angeles Valiant and the Guangzhou Charge, two consistently underperforming teams who have failed to take down the Hunters time and time again. The Hunters are also sure to defeat the New York Excelsior. However, it's still up in the air how close the match will be. The NYXL have had a notoriously up-and-down season. One week, they're flying out to Hawaii to compete in the June Joust, except that's also not true. The, uh, the Eastern Region teams don't go to Hawaii. The next, they're taking a loss to the floundering Guangzhou Charge. It's entirely possible that the Hunters sweep the NYXL, and it's entirely possible that they somehow lose to this middling team. But if the NYXL's record is anything to go off of fortune, favors the Hunters, and they'll likely have uh, take the match relatively handily. However, three likely wins against, an under, against underperforming opponents doesn't guarantee the Hunters a 4-0 victory lap this season, this stage, sorry. They'll still have to play the formidable, if inconsistent, Hangzhou Spark, with whom they share an identical record. The Spark have proven themselves to be a fantastic competition for the Hunters, defeating them 3-1 in the June Just qualifiers. However, fans of the Spark should avoid getting their hopes up. Hangzhou has suffered frequent coaching changes during the 2021 season, an early sign of disaster in the Overwatch League. Inconsistency in tactics, discipline, and team environment is likely to negatively affect the Spark's count on cup performance. But with the amount of raw talent on the Spark, failure is never a guarantee. The Hangzhou Spark may pull through, taking the Hunters down in a repeat of their June Just performance. But even if... Hangzhou fails to bounce back from their coaching woes. The clash of these two Chinese juggernauts is sure to be a joy to watch no matter who wins. Moving on from there, we are going to look at the Houston Outlaws. The Houston Outlaws are a monstrous team. Since they, the start of the season, they've taken down the Dallas Fuel. They've taken down the San Francisco Shock, and they're set to run amok in the playoffs. But despite Houston's status as one of the best teams in the league, they may have received the worst possible Countdown Cup schedule. If there's one word that can effectively describe the Outlaws' unfortunate Countdown Cup schedule, it's unfamiliarity. Across the course of the 2021 season, the Houston Outlaws have played a vast number of teams, some more than others. They've traded blows with the rosters of all shapes and sizes, but somehow they never encountered the Los Angeles Gladiators or Washington Justice. This inexperience could be the death sentence for Houston, especially after their lukewarm summer showdown run. The Washington Justice and Los Angeles Gladiators are both incredibly dominant teams, despite repeated failures to reach Hawaii. They've proven time and time again that they can take games off the best teams in the league, and the Houston Outlaws haven't played them once. The Outlaws will be going into these matches blind. This is a damning disadvantage even without the Countdown Cup's choice of hero bands, a factor which has already put them on the back foot. It's entirely possible that the Outlaws lose both of these games, putting them at an easy two-game deficit. And that isn't even considering the other two games that the Outlaws will have to play to make up 
to make any sort of progress in the Countdown Cup. The Houston Outlaws are all too familiar with the Atlanta Reign, who beat them 3-1 to one in the June Just qualifiers. And they're only partially familiar with the new and unimproved Florida Mayhem, whose unpredictable main tank took the team to five maps against the Dallas Fuel. When all is said and done, it's likely the Houston Outlaws will go 1-3 in the Countdown Cup. This would be a shocking failure for such a talented team and could put pos- a possibly dominant playoff run at risk. However, failure isn't guaranteed. In fact, it's entirely possible for the Outlaws to overcome unfamiliarity and achieve victory. But no matter how you spin it, the odds won't be on their side, verifying their ownership of the most unfortunate schedule in the Countdown Cup. So I wanted to bring up this article, not because it's, uh, I mean, certainly it's not the most unbiased thing, and it's obviously not necessarily uh, serious journalistic reporting, Um, but it is interesting to look at the schedules of some of these teams, um, because there certainly are some teams that are making off with a little bit better of a schedule. Um, And it does uh, lead to questions about who's going to be able to make it. in large part also you combine that with the hero bands and certainly a team like houston is uh looking like they might be in hot water now interestingly enough sorry i dropped something ignore all that noise in the background there interestingly enough uh one team that i think had potentially one of the best uh strength of schedules was the paris eternal um with their first match of the tournament being against the dallas fuel and it was very much a case of you know, regardless of if they win that match or not, they stand a chance of getting three wins um, because the rest of the teams they play could very well be easy wins for them um, or at least easier wins for them. Now, this weekend, as we'll talk about when I get to the hour recap, the Paris Eternal did come out on top of against the Dallas Fuel, which was a huge win for them. Extremely impressive and seemingly uh, they were about to then go 4-0 and in this stage. But then on, I believe it was Sunday, uh, they actually played against the Boston Uprising. And, I mean, you'll have to keep listening to find out what the result of that match was. But uh, it certainly doesn't fit with the 4-0 uh, that I just mentioned. So, now, without further ado, let's move on to the next article I have here. This time from Invin Global, uh, an article written by Aaron Alford on July 30th, which reads, Overwatch League releases statement regarding Activision Blizzard lawsuit. So this is, of course, what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Um, we've now got this this story, and uh, the next story actually relate directly to the lawsuit. Um, so anyways, I digress. I'll read them to you. The Overwatch League returned to action after a brief hiatus on Friday, and with that return, the Overwatch League finally broke their silence regarding the ongoing Activision Blizzard lawsuit. The Department of Fair Employment and Housing filed a complaint last week alleging that Activision Blizzard fostered an abusive workplace that featured rampant discrimination against women and sexual harassment of both male and female employees. They then have the tweet embedded from the Overwatch League, which reads, There's no place for discrimination, harassment, or unequal, unequal treatment of any kind. We at the Overwatch League will do everything possible to make sure that together we build an inclusive environment in our field of play and beyond. Inspired by the Washington Justice and Houston Outlaws, we will be matching uh, matching and advancing the donations to these worthy causes at a local level. The new statement is consistent with other Activision Blizzard statements, which have condemned discrimination in the abstract while dodging any material admission of responsibility in their response. So that's a little bit interesting there. Um, Now, towards the end of that uh, article there, 
they mentioned what uh, some other teams are, have been doing there. Uh, sorry, at the end of the uh, tweet there. Inspired by the Washington Justice Houston Outlaws, we will be matching and advancing donation levels to these worthy causes. I'm going to jump over to DottieSports.com with another article by Ethan Garcia, which reads Overwatch League to match Houston Outlaws Washington Justice charity donations. Following donations from Washington Justice and Houston Outlaws, the Overwatch League announced it will be making donations to various organizations that specialize in addressing and preventing sexual violence, as well as those that work to support and empower women. The league said it will match the donations of both teams, quote, on a local level, following the conclusion of the Owl match, which resulted in an Outlaws victory. Spoilers. Uh, they then have the tweet embedded as well. The Outlaws and the Justice came together to announce their Outlaws for Justice initiative, in which the team made base donations to sexual assault support and prevention organization Rain. The losing team also pledged to donate additional funds to a local charity of the winner's choice per map win, resulting in an additional donation to the Big Sister Little Sister Mentoring Program in Houston. The current amount donated is unknown, though the Owl said it plans to match all donations made by both the Justice and the Outlaws. These donations followed a lawsuit made by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing against Activision Blizzard, which alleged the company fostered an environment that included sexual harassment, unequal pay, and retaliation. Additionally, texts and screenshots were recently released to the public that showed Blizzard officials and developers seemingly discussing recruiting women for sexual favors in a room informally known as the Cosby Suite. The Overwatch League continues to with the Countdown Cup this weekend, with just a few more teams, a few more weeks for teams to prove themselves before the Owl 2021 playoffs. So now I'm going to jump back over to Invin Global to finish off the article there, which continues Overwatch League teams respond to the gender discrimination lawsuit. Several Overwatch League teams, including NYXL, Houston Outlaws, Washington Justice, and Florida Mayhem, have all responded to the lawsuit scandal with statements of their own. Those teams are not part of Blizzard itself, but are obviously closely partnered with the company. They've then got the tweets embedded from NYXL, from the Florida Mayhem, from the Houston Outlaws, and from the Washington Justice. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that as well, because obviously it's important to mention that. So anyways, sort of two articles there, uh, both touching on the same same sort of items, um, with the league finally breaking their silence and making a statement on everything that's been going on, but then also uh, taking you know, taking some actual physical action along with some of the other teams or, or following in line with what some of the other teams are doing um, to uh, to show support and, you know, hopefully help further some change in, in the world, honestly. So good for the league, good for these organizations. Um, it was certainly a little disappointing to see just how long it took the league uh, to say anything. Of course, um... I can only imagine the situation that this lawsuit basically put literally every company in and especially the social media managers of these companies. Um, certainly do not ever blame the social media team or social media managers of these accounts because it is truly in, in most situations, it is never their fault. Um, I can only imagine the hoops that, uh, that these organizations would have made the teams jump through in order to simply write up a statement about what's going on. Um, so anyways, I digress. Um, it's good to see that teams are coming forward and not only not only making a statement, but but uh, you know putting money out there to affect real change and everything. And it's also good to see that the league is uh, in some ways being given some autonomy to do what they want and match these donations as well. I'd be really curious um, 
you know, how high up the statement the league wanted to make had to go, just given that, you know, ultimately the Overwatch League is owned by Activision Blizzard. So uh, interesting stuff. And again, hopefully with this this whole mess that Activision Blizzard finds themselves in, hopefully they take some real steps to, to make some real changes. Um, so, yeah. Moving on from there, we're now going to go over to dexerto.com with an article by Bill Cooney posted on July 31st, which reads Overwatch players can now earn even more hero skins completely free. Overwatch fans will soon have a brand new way to earn exclusive skins simply by watching the game's eSport, and no, we're not talking about the Overwatch League. Instead, we're referring to the lower tier of Overwatch eSports known as Contenders. There's already a couple of the neon green, white, and black skins in the game already, but starting in August, we'll be able to earn even more. That's right, it may have taken over a, may have taken a year or so for the rewards feature to make it to from Owl to Contenders, but starting August 2nd, we'll be able to unlock exclusive skins just by turning on some matches. Much like its big brother, the contender skins will require you to watch the broadcast for a certain amount of time in order to grab the reward. But unlike its larger sibling, you'll have the chance to earn two exclusive skins instead of just one by tuning in to the live broadcast on the official Contenders YouTube channel. So how much time will we have to watch to unlock them? To unlock the first skin, you'll need to watch a total of five hours of Contenders, and to get both, you'll need to watch 10 hours of play with well the promo is active we don't know which heroes will be getting contender skins offered up first ash orisa widow and roadhog's green green white and black looks were all included with the official announcement post though so that's a but sorry but that's not a sure sign they'll be included one thing to note is that well watching contenders uh is that watching contenders will not earn you any owl tokens so will you Earn some unique skins by watching 5 or 10 hours. Unlike Overwatch League, you won't earn any in-game currency. Blizzard has been often been accused of not caring as much about the lower tier scene of Overwatch esports than it does Owl as well. So it's nice to see them giving Contenders fans something to get excited about. Man, I gotta apologize that I stumbled over that, stumbled through that article for some reason. I really don't know why. Um, anyways, the point is, exciting to see Owl or... I guess Overwatch giving some love to contenders, um, and especially contenders fans, obviously, as long as they have their accounts linked. I imagine it'll work exactly the same. You link your uh, link your YouTube account to your Battle.net account, um, and your platforms of choice will unlock these skins. Certainly, I do like some of them. I think I have maybe the Genji contender skin, maybe like an Ana one. Maybe I'm crazy. Um, from watching contenders as well. I'm not a huge Overwatch follower, I mean, contenders follower or anything like that, um, but I do tune in every now and then when I'm getting that owl itch and there's no owl on. So I digress. Uh, the the Roadhog one actually looks pretty cool. I, I dig it. So so yeah, there you go. Moving on from there. Uh, oh, that's actually, that's actually our final news story. Um, so yay, we're all through that. So now that we are done the news, I think we will move on to our OWL recap where we will take a look at this past week's uh, matches in week 16 of the Overwatch League. Okay, so here we are looking at the past week in Overwatch League matches. Week 16 starting on Friday, July 30th. First, we kicked off the weekend with a match that saw the Dallas Fuel take on the Paris Eternal. Now, I did already mention this match briefly. Um, I'm trying to remember. I know, pardon me. 
I know I caught some of this match. Um, if it was on Friday, then I was definitely working during it, so uh, I didn't get to pay as much attention as I would have loved to. However, uh, exciting stuff from the Paris Eternal. Honestly, it was a back-and-forth uh, matchup with uh, Paris taking the first round on Li Zhang Tower, taking the control map. Dallas coming back and taking Blizzard World 5-4, to four, though. So certainly Paris had a really good push. Uh, Dallas did as well. Dallas ultimately managing to take it a little bit farther. Then Paris Eternal came back roaring with a vengeance on, I believe it's Havana, is that right? Yep, on Havana, taking it 3-0, and which sent the two teams to Temple of Anubis. And unfortunately, the Paris Eternal could not close it out there, um, with Dallas coming back 2-1. And then we went to map 5, which was Oasis, and Paris managing to come out with the W. So um, ultimately, really exciting to see. And uh, what truly happened here... Um, kind of hard to say uh paris had a few players who were really popping off oni god and naga were, were doing exceedingly well khan over on support continues to impress with his sort of aggressive style of support um but nevertheless obviously it's working well for them um and then over on the dallas side you know it's not like they didn't have an impressive showing uh sparkle and doha definitely making things work um but i think what it largely comes down to in in many ways uh, was the uh, ball meta that teams are now trying to play. Um, after how Shanghai performed and how the Eastern region really dominated the previous tournament cycle um, with the, what would that have been, the Summer Showdown, um, it really kind of showed that, or, or at least it really kind of seemed like the uh, Western region teams were a little behind the meta. So, Really interesting to see what Dallas was doing because it definitely kind of felt... Um, now, I don't want this to sound like I'm diminishing Paris's win at all. It felt a little like Dallas is trying to experiment and trying to find a way that they can make the ball meta work because they're trying to prepare for those Eastern region teams where we do see them uh, taking advantage of the ball. Whereas in the West, we didn't see that getting played in the count uh, prior to the Summer Showdown. Uh, so much anyways, and it kind of left them behind the curve. So I know a lot of what we saw was was fearless on the ball um, and just trying to make it work. Now, when we came to Numbani, it did seem like Dallas kind of went, okay, you know what, we're going to go to our comfort pick, we're going to have put fearless on the Winston, and we're going to let him, I mean, not let him carry the team, but we're going to do what we do best and really win it out, and it didn't end that way. You know, Paris actually did manage to come out on top. Now, do I think this means bad news for the Dallas Fuel? Um, initially, I did. <laughs> but with the way the weekend played out, I'm leaning towards maybe not. Maybe maybe it was just a little more experimental on their side. Um, you know, maybe they decided, hey, you know what? If there's a game or if there's a match we can kind of try some new things out on and we can afford to lose, maybe it is the match against the Paris Eternal. Um so anyways, we'll, we'll take a look at some of their matches from the rest of the weekend as well, and you'll see what I mean. Moving on from there, we saw the Houston Outlaws coming out with a hot 3-0 against the Washington Justice. Now, I've, I've gone on, on podcast on record before and talked about how I'm not actually that big of a fan of the Washington Justice. Um, I don't know that I really have a good reason for that, uh, but I do feel like they just play... Uh, 
I don't know how to say it any other way than I feel like they play Decay when they want to win and uh, when they don't really care, Decay sits out. Um, that's not to say they won't win without Decay because certainly they, they do have a number of really good players. Um, I mean, their other DPS uh, main DPS player in Assassin is really good um, and Assassin has definitely been playing exceedingly well. And then, you know, Mag and Fury on main tank and, and off tank have really been impressing as well. So I it's not like I say they re not like I want to say they rely on decay uh, too much or anything like that, but I definitely do think that when they want to win, you see decay. When they don't really care, uh, you might not see decay. But in this case, they wanted to win and they did not. Houston Outlaws took map one on Ilios two and zero, took Blizzard World three to two, and closed it out on Route sixty six with a two and one. So an impressive showing from Houston. I don't believe I actually watched that match because I was, again, working. That was the second Friday match of the weekend. Moving on to Saturday, the Hangzhou Spark took on Seoul Dynasty with Seoul taking it 3-2. The New York Excelsior took on the Los Angeles Valiant with New York taking it 3-0. And then in what might be one of the bigger upsets of the weekend, the Philadelphia Fusion came out swinging against the Shanghai Dragons and took that match Three and oh. So after Shanghai showing, uh, really showing, really asserting their dominance, uh, Shanghai, man, holy cow, a bit of a major flop on their part. So let's go to the overview. Map one was Busan and it went to Philly 2 and 0. Map two was Numbani, went to Philly 1 to 0. And map three was Rialto and it went to Philly 2 to 1. So really, interesting scores here as well i mean you know the control map has to go to for someone um but shanghai not even getting a map on on control then going to numbani and philadelphia getting the one cap and then managing to get the full hold against shanghai and then a very similar story well similar uh on rialto with philly getting two checkpoints and shanghai only managing to get the one so philly seemingly uh coming out hot um, especially after they've, you know, I think people had a lot of hopes for them, especially being in the Eastern region this, this season. Um, they obviously, as we know, had a ton of trouble with visas. Um, they had an impressive showing, uh, at the start of the season with, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Hotba. Hotba was one of the players that they signed to a 30 day contract or a temporary contract or something like that. And then they eventually signed him for the rest of the season, uh, because he had such a good impact. It might be alarm. No, I think I'm crazy. It might be Hotba and Mono, actually. That could be right, the two tanks. But anyways, I digress. Yeah, because they're missing Poco. Uh, they're missing Shockwave. They're miss they were missing a few others. Anyways, I digress. Um, looking at their lineup for this match, I, I did not catch this match, but I might go back and rewatch this one because uh, really looking like, like it might be a good one to catch. Um, looks like over on the Shanghai side, they had Develop on DPS along with Lip. They had Fate and Void on Tank and then Izaki and Lee Gong. I do wonder how much of an impact Develop made, um, you know, where they they aren't usually playing him on DPS. Now let's jump over to Numbani and see how the roster compares. We've got Lip and Fleta. There you go. So that, I mean, it's not like it seemingly made much of a difference. Lip and develop to Lip and Fleta. Um, they still lost the second map on Numbani, but I digress. Um, still shocking to see develop in that first round there. And then moving on from there seems pretty consistent after that. You know, Philadelphia not really changing their roster too much. Um, 
in fact, by too much, I mean at all. It looks like they had the same six the whole time. And uh, Develop being the only one that swapped out for... Um, uh, oh, it looks like Who Are You played a bit as well in the final round there. Interesting. So Shanghai definitely trying some things. Um, I do wonder if that's meta-dependent or a little bit meta-dependent given the, um, the hero bands, uh, which I believe are, if I'm not mistaken, Ash, Echo, Sigma, and Lucio. Um, I'm just going to do a quick Google search there. Countdown, Cup, Hero, Bands, just to make sure I am correct there. But anyways, I digress. Um, really, really interesting stuff there. Uh, Ash, Echo, Sigma, and Lucio. Yeah, I was correct. So anyways, uh, good for Philly. Really exciting to see them finally getting some wins and certainly getting wins against the Juggernaut that is Shanghai. So... Moving on from there, the first Western region game on Saturday, July 31st was the Boston Uprising taking on the Paris Eternal. And this is where I was talking about uh, Paris's strength of schedule. In my mind, they had a good chance of going 3-1, potentially 4-0, if they could get the win against the Dallas Fuel. They obviously got that win against the Dallas Fuel, and I thought to myself, man, they are sure to now get a uh, a full uh, 4-0 season, uh, season, sorry, uh, what, what do you want to call it, tournament cycle, whatever, that didn't happen, stage, that's what I was looking for, because then, on Saturday, they played the Boston Uprising, and Boston came out with a 3-1 win over Paris, so, really interesting stuff, I wanted to catch this match, mostly because I was so, so in the mindset that Paris was going to beat Boston, and I would have loved to catch it and see Boston turn it around, but uh, unfortunately, I was a little bit busy on Saturday as well. So I didn't catch many matches either, honestly, on Saturday or Sunday. I've, I've been really busy lately. Anyways, I digress. After that, we went to uh, Atlanta versus the Los Angeles Gladiators. I did catch some of this match, not all of it, but some of it. And man, Atlanta continuing to show that they are no longer the team that they have been in past seasons. They really are looking much better. Um, I'm I'm going to be very, very... Um, sorry, I'm searching for something here. I'm going to be very interested in how Atlanta places at the end of the season overall, just given that they are showing that they really do have... Uh, they do have what it takes, and they have made a lot of significant changes to the point where they are no longer that gatekeeper team. Now, the flip side of that seems to be maybe, maybe. I, I feel like there's a little bit less of a gatekeeper um, this season, this time around. I am tempted to say it could be the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now, looking at the overall standings, they are in fifth with a record of nine and five. So certainly they're positive. They're doing well. Um, and, you know, they, they are above that kind of middle of the pack but above that 500 level or just above it realistically um but ultimately i i'm i'm curious to see uh i think their biggest competition at this point might just be the washington justice the two teams kind of strike me very similar um you know they they look really good on paper they should win uh a lot of games they seemingly don't win all the games they should and then they can take maps off the best teams, um, you know, both of them. So anyways, interesting stuff there. That's how that went, 3-2 to two for Atlanta. Moving on from there, the Dallas Fuel took on the San Francisco Shock. And this one, again, what a, what a wild tournament cycle we're seeing here, where on Friday, 
the Dallas Fuel take on the Paris Eternal and lose in five. And then on Saturday, the Dallas Fuel take on the San Francisco Shock and win in five. What a, what a crazy world we live in, honestly. Just absolutely insane. Moving on from there, August 1st, the Seoul Dynasty took on the Los Angeles Valiant with a 3-0 and uh, win for Seoul. Sorry. Uh, and then on Sunday, the Shanghai Dragons take on the New York Excelsior and yet again are served another loss. Starting off the tournament cycle with a two... Sorry, I guess it's not technically the tournament cycle. It is the the stage um, with a 0-2 and two weekend. They did take to the New York Excelsior to 5, which is like good for them. But even still, New York came out hot on control and took the took the map 2 to 1. They then uh Shanghai came back and took Kings Row 3 to 2, but then New York again takes Havana 2 to 1. Volskaya goes to Shanghai 3 to 2 and finally Lijiang Tower goes to New York 2 to 1. So I mean looking a little bit like Shanghai needs to improve their control game. Um, if if they had one control, they would have ended this in four. Uh, but unfortunately they didn't. Now, what I do want to check is the roster on these matches. See if they had developing again. Looks like Fleta and Lip in the first map. Looks like Fleta and Lip in the second map. Going over to Havana. We had Fleta and Lip some more, and then going to Volskaya. Fleta and Lip again, and Li Zhang looks to be the same. So interesting stuff there. Um, over on the New York side, we do see Kalios playing, which is good. You know, recent addition uh, to the roster and seemingly making a, a significant enough impact, um, you know, that, that he's getting some playtime and obviously earning it. So good for New York taking that win um, and ultimately starting off the season with a... Uh, uh, starting off the stage, sorry, I apologize. I keep doing that. I've I've been out of it for a while here, but anyways, ultimately taking or starting the stage with with two wins. So great for them. Moving on from there, the other another team to get two wins this weekend, the Philadelphia Fusion taking their next match against the Hangzhou Spark three to one. So Philly looking good. I hope that Philly can qualify for playoffs. Um, and and really kind of turn their season around. Obviously, we've seen them struggle with a lot of the um uh with with a lot of the visa stuff um and and at the same time we've seen them succeed with a lot of the visa stuff so interesting there but i really hope we see them them have a, some good performances this stage going back to the western region we saw the atlanta rain get their second win of the weekend taking on the houston outlaws and winning it three to zero so good for them i was shocked to see that they squashed houston to this extent um because i I really, uh, in my mind, I would have picked, I, I think I did pick in my pickums, Houston to win. Uh, but at the same time, I think that's maybe just a little bit of me wanting to see Houston win. Because as we know, I'm not a big Rain fan. Moving on from there, the San Francisco Shock came back and took on the Boston Uprising again. Both of them finished their weekend with one win, one loss, given Boston won earlier in the weekend, San Francisco lost earlier in the weekend, and this time around, San Francisco took the win 3-1. to one. Moving on from there, we see the Los Angeles Gladiators take on the Washington Justice, and this is kind of what I was talking about with it seeming like maybe our gatekeeper teams are dueling for, dueling for that, you know, you won't beat us kind of lower teams and you won't lose against us upper teams seems like these two are kind of duking it out now if i had to put my money on one i would put it on los angeles they did win this match three to zero uh against the washington justice 
so that, you know, in a lot of ways, that kind of lends credence to my argument here. Um, it looks to me like the number five, six position in the West, uh, and I'm only looking at the West right now, but that number five, six position is kind of that gatekeeper where it's hard for me to say right now, but it could be that six position where you're not going to beat the Washington Justice if you're a lower team. If you're an upper team, there's a good chance you will. Um, and then the flip side of that is, well, if you look at the number five spot, you've got the Los Angeles Gladiators, who do have a bit of a better record with that recent win against Washington. Um, so anyways, so there you have it. That was your weekend in the Overwatch League. Um, honestly, some really exciting matches. Again, I didn't catch them all, but if I had to go back and rewatch some, I would definitely say that first match, the Dallas Fuel against the Paris Eternal, uh, really exciting. I would probably, if I'm picking another Western region, no, Eastern region, no, sorry, I am thinking West. <laughs> if I had to pick another uh, Western region team uh, match to watch, I would say probably give the Dallas Fuel against San Francisco Shock match a watch. I really wanted the Shock to win that. Um, I'm really pulling for for Twilight to have a big impact and, and get his championship where he's uh, an active participant. Um, outside of that, though, I would say Philadelphia-Shanghai, although it was a blowout. Um, you know, I have a suspicion that that would be an exciting one to watch for the simple fact of uh, Shanghai uh, or Philly looking really hot nowadays and if i had to pick another one i'd probably pick the other shanghai match shanghai new york um and i'm not trying to just be a simp for anyone who beats shanghai but more i'm just curious what shanghai was doing that uh saw them lose so you know so spectacularly this weekend again they put up a good fight against new york it sounds like because it went to five but i digress so with all of that said I'm going to flip back over to my schedule here. Now, I do have the IBM ranking power rankings with our good friend Watson up here. I'm going to take a quick look at them just because it has been a little bit since I've peeked at them. Um, but I won't spend too, too long given we are already almost an hour into the show. So looking at the tank roll, we see the Dallas Fuel continuing the 1 and 2 spot with Hanbin and Fearless. We see the Shanghai Dragons continuing 3 and 4 with Void and Fate, the two of them swapping positions. And then at number 5, we see Hawk uh, from the Atlanta Reign remaining steady there. Uh, moving up one spot, honestly. Moving over to the damage roll, we see Lip with the Shanghai Dragons at the top, then Sparkle and Doha, both with the Dallas Fuel burning blue. And then in the number four position, we see Pelican, the I believe the rookie on the Atlanta Reign, killing the game. And in number five, we see Fleta with the Shanghai Dragons. Moving over to support, we see Fielder with the Dallas Fuel in the number one spot, as well as Jexa with the Dallas Fuel in the number four spot. In number two, we see Izayaki with the Shanghai Dragons. Number three, we see Shu with the Los Angeles Gladiators. And then in number five, we see Skewed with the Los Angeles Gladiators as well. So a little bit of a different story on the support role. Damage and Tank were both, uh, you know, Dallas, Shanghai, Atlanta. Um, and support looking Dallas, Shanghai, and Glads, oddly enough. Moving over to the overall player rankings, we see Hanbin and Fearless, both tanks for the Dallas Fuel in the 1 and 2 spots. We see Void and Fate, both tanks with the Shanghai Dragons in 3 and 4. We then see Lip with the uh, DPS with the Shanghai Dragons in 5, Fielder and Sparkle in 6 and 7 with the Dallas Fuel. Number 8 is Izayaki, and then finally in the number 9 spot, uh, we see Shu with the Glads coming in, and then number 10 is Hawk with the Atlanta Reign. 
So interesting stuff there. Obviously, the trend continues of Dallas and Shanghai being highly rated. Uh, we're starting to see Atlanta and the Glads sneak in there a little bit more and more as time goes on. Um, I don't know when the power rankings actually update, but I want to say it's like Wednesday. Uh, so this is definitely going to change. Um, so, you know, look forward to that in, in next week's episode, because given how the weekend went with uh, Dallas getting at least one loss, with Shanghai getting served two losses i think what we're actually going to see is probably probably if i had to guess we'll see the atlanta rain creeping up ever so much higher um given their their strength lately and i it's hard to say how much shanghai will be punished for their two losses like yes they lost against philly which was a good team um but they also lost against new york which has been inconsistent at best um and so I, I, I'm really interested to see how these things change uh, this next week. So now moving on from there, let's go down to the overall IBM power ranking, uh, power rankings with IBM's Watson for the teams. And let's take a look at the spread here. So in the number one spot, we've got the Dallas Fuel still with 124 as their score. Number two, we've got the Shanghai Dragons with 122. And this actually surprises me that we're not seeing Shanghai coming out on top after their recent win um, in the countdown cup moving on to number three the atlanta rain have moved up one spot to the third position with 116 and the los angeles gladiators dropped down one spot with uh to fourth with also 116 and number five we see the houston outlaws with 108 but however san francisco shock is also at 108 in number six and they have not moved so interesting stuff there um again I'm curious to see what kind of movement we see after the past weekend, after after the abysmal weekend that Shanghai had, after the great weekend that Atlanta had, after the middling weekend that Dallas had. Um, but again, it's hard to say just how heavily teams will be punished um, given one or two losses when they've been dominant the rest of the season, right? Maybe they just had an off weekend. So anyways, exciting stuff. Looking forward to seeing how that pans out. Now... To close out the show, or just before we close out the show, we're going to go ahead and do our pickums. Um, this is something that, uh, given my, you know, I, I had a week where I did not record an episode because there was just way too much going on and I was not feeling well and all sorts of stuff. Then I had a week of a shorter episode where I still had way too much going on, but I managed to squeeze it in there. Then we had the Activision Blizzard week where I did not want to record an episode because of everything that went on. Um, truth be told, I was looking forward to getting back to it that week, but after everything happened, I was like, no, there's no way I'm, I'm not going to support this. And now here we are with our first full episode in, in probably maybe about a month. And I mean, hey, kind of nice that it's episode 50. That's, that's exciting. But... The thing that has suffered is my pickums, <laughs> because I definitely did not uh, remember to um, to get all my picks in. So I actually missed Friday's games, which sucks because that means I'm suffering on the scoreboard of the Ready Set Pwn leaderboard. I'm gonna have to make some good picks this week to to get back into the tops there. Let me check 2021 total. I have been pretty good about remembering. Yeah, I'm six overall, and I'm six in the current uh, current season, uh, current not season, current stage. So, I digress. Let's get into my pickums. Let's make some good picks, and let's get this baby locked in. All right. So, uh, let's start with the Eastern region because again, I usually like to do that given I'm not 
as familiar with them. So the New York Excelsior take on the Philadelphia Fusion. That's really exciting. That's actually a good match, uh, given how this past weekend went. I'm going to give it to Philly, and I'm going to say... I'll say New, I'll give New York a map, but I'm going to say Philly takes it 3-1. to one. This is on Saturday, August 7th. Next game is the Shanghai Dragons taking on the Seoul Dynasty. Now, regardless of how uh, Shanghai played this past weekend... Um, I am going to give the win to Shanghai. I do still have faith that they are the better team. Uh, I'll give, you know, I was going to give one map to Seoul. I'm going to give it 3-0. and I'm going to say Shanghai dominates them. Moving on from there, the Chengdu Hunters take on the Guangzhou Charge, and I'll say Chengdu takes it 3-1. I don't really have a good feeling for the, Gu for the Guangzhou Charge uh, in this current meta and stage, but that's what I'll do. Philly then takes on Seoul, and I'm going to say that this is a closer one. I'll give it 3-2. to two just because Seoul is seemingly unpredictable all the time. Next up, the New York Excelsior takes on the Chengdu Hunters. I'm going to make this my wild card game, and I'm going to say the New York... Hmm, I'm just not familiar with New York. I was going to say New York takes it 3-1, to 3-2, to two, but now I'm like, well, we are still kind of in a ball meta, given you know Sigma's out and Lucio's out. I feel like ball is kind of stronger than ever. I'm going to give it to Shang, uh, sorry, Chengdu 3-1. to one. Final, final, final Eastern Region game of the weekend uh, at 5 a.m. PT on Sunday, August 8th is the Shanghai Dragons taking on the Guangzhou Charge. And I'll, I'll say the same as the Chengdu match against Guangzhou 3-1. to one. So there it is. I'm going to save those predictions so that I don't lose any of my picks. And waiting for that to load... Loading, loading. The nice thing is I did double check. I was logged in ahead of time, so we're good. It's not going to lose my picks. There we go. Okay, now let's move over to the West region. Friday, August 6th, we see the London Spitfire take on the Toronto Defiant. I'm giving this to Toronto. Does London get a map? I'm going to say it's a 3-0 for Toronto. Then at 1.30 p.m. PT, so 2.30 where I am, the Vancouver Titans take on the Boston Uprising, and Boston has proven time and time again this season that uh you know they're not going to lose to these bottom teams i'm giving it to boston three to i'm giving it three and oh honestly if i'm going to treat the london spitfire like that then i'm going to treat the the vancouver titans the same even if i am a yeah, reluctant vancouver titans fan moving over to saturday at 1 p.m pt pt yes that's nope nope sorry 1 p.m mountain time the Dallas Fuel take on the London Spitfire. I think it's going to be another 3-0 for Dallas. Then the Florida Mayhem return to action and take on the Atlanta Reign. That is going to be upsetting because Atlanta's going to take it 3-0. Man, every pick I've made this week has been 3-0. Oof, that hurts. The Washington Justice then take on the Toronto Defiant. Mm, that's tough. Right now, looking at the overall standings for the West... Washington Justice is sitting at 8-6, and six, while Toronto is 6-6. Six and six. So Toronto at a 500 this season, uh, actually tied at a 500 with the Paris Eternal and the Boston Uprising, given they are both 7-7, seven seven, uh, because they obviously have both played more matches. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> well, man, that's tough. I want Toronto to win, obviously. I already put a pick in <laughs> and then looked at the standings and I already gave it to Washington 3-0. to 
or three and oh. I just don't know if I want to commit to that because it's harsh on my Vancouver or on my Toronto Defiant. Ah, oh, that's tough. I do think Washington will win. Will Toronto get a map though? I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give Toronto the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna say it's three and one. Let's hold our breath. Or don't hold your breath. <laughs> I don't know, whichever. Sunday, August 8th, the Florida Mayhem take on the Boston Uprising. And again, if we look at Boston, they're sitting at seven and seven, and Florida is sitting at four and eight. The only wins that Florida has were those wins they got in the first stage in the May Melee tournament. Uh, qualifiers, whatever you want to call it. So uh, I got to give it to Boston. Does Florida get a map? I'll give Florida a map. I think they can they can get a map off them at least. I hope OG's back. Not not like I have anything against Checkmate. Um, I just I personally am am a fan of OG, and I thought he was doing really well in that first uh, in that first tournament cycle. Uh, tournament cycle, whatever stage. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm gonna give Florida a map. We've gone from there. The Atlanta Rain take on the Dallas Fuel. Now this could be a big deal because uh, the Dallas Fuel and the Atlanta Rain, obviously the two teams that are really kind of competing to for that sort of i feel like competing for dominance in the west the interesting thing is dallas is in first atlanta is in fourth but the number two and number three teams are san francisco shock and houston outlaws both of which who have never qualified to go to hawaii this season whereas atlanta has now qualified in both the june joust and the summer showdown so in my mind the two top teams in the west are probably the Dallas Fuel and the Atlanta Rain, um, regardless of where the San Francisco Shock and Houston Outlaws are sitting in the standings. And I mean, on top of all that, Atlanta is only one win behind all of those top three teams. Now, so are the Glads, oddly enough, where I was just talking a lot of shit about the Glads. So, oh, oh, God, what a great season we've got here. Um, I'm going to give it to Atlanta. I'm going to say it goes to five. It'll be our first fiver of the weekend uh, outside of the uh, the one Eastern region game I picked to be a five. And I'm going to give it to Atlanta. I think Atlanta could win this. I think Dallas had a tough time this past weekend, obviously getting beat by the Paris Eternal. They came back against the San Francisco Shock, but I'm leaning towards the Shock being a worse team than Atlanta this season, which pains me to say because I want Shock to do well, especially to get like over Atlanta. I'm not a fan of Atlanta, as I've said many times, but I think Atlanta might be the number two team in the West right now, you know? So anyways, that's where I'm going to put it. I'm going to put it three to two for Atlanta. Final match of the weekend, 3 p.m. PT, 4 p.m. where I am. It's the Washington Justice taking on the Vancouver Titans. That's an easy 3-0 for the Washington Justice. So really, looking to me like the Western region is not going to be that exciting this weekend. Uh, but, hey, this season has proven, if this season has proven anything, it's proven that you never know what is going to happen. So there you have it. That is my predictions for this upcoming weekend. There we go. And it just finished saving. So with all of that said, we have reached the end of the show.
Thank you very much for listening to episode 50 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. If you're new around here, I am very happy to have you. My name is Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. You can find me on all socials at Sir DRJM. So why not give me a follow? Reach out to me on Twitter, uh, tweet at me, DM me, whatever. I'd love to interact with you there. Topics, questions, concerns, inquiries, whatever for the show. I'd love to bring it on, discuss it, and have a good time with you all. You can, of course, find this podcast over on all podcast services out there Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that jazz. If I do get notified that you leave a review, I will happily read it on the show. Now, this was episode 50, a seemingly a major milestone for the show. Um, you know, I like the round numbers. However, obviously, episode 52 would, in theory, be one year of episodes given you know, one episode per week. Now, obviously, the schedule is all over the place because during the off-season, I I switched to an every-other-week format because there just wasn't as much going on. Um, Obviously, I've also missed the occasional episode given last week um, and given, you know, a couple weeks before that where I just was too down to do it. And then, of course, when I first started the show, uh, I definitely had challenges with consistency. So I really have no idea how long I've actually been doing this for. I think back in February was technically a year since the first episode. Um, But it definitely feels like I've kept up the cadence a lot better. Um, You know, this past month has been up and down in terms of many things, obviously. So I think I'm just going to celebrate one year of the show on episode 52. Um, I really don't have much planned for that. That would be the episode posting on the 17th. So I do actually know that I have something kind of exciting coming up a couple weeks after that. So I might just call that the fifth, the, the one year celebration episode. Um, but I digress. Um, we'll we'll kind of take that when we get there. So once again, thank you very much for listening to episode 50 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. I'm your host at Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. Give me a follow on Twitter. Reach out to me there if you want to interact. And as always, thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.